0: Hello and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by writer and director Harry McQueen, whose new film Supernova is in cinemas now. Welcome to the show, Harry. Hi. Hi, Sam. Congratulations on Supernova. And whilst it it is 95 minutes long, (laughs) I still loved the film.
1: Thank you very much. That's really kind of you. I'm sorry it managed to edge over. The um, threshold.
0: I think some people argue, well, without the credits, it would be. But I always say you should stick to the end of the credits because if nothing else, hundreds of people worked on the film, and sometimes there's a little easter egg at the end. You know,
1: absolutely. No, I totally agree. You got to stay till the end. Yeah, sure.
0: But you have also directed a 78-minute film in your feature debut, Hinterland. Um, so you're still part of the club. Thank
1: you. That's really nice of you. Thanks. It's good to uh good to be a signed-up member.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Supernova is only your your second film. It's a hugely accomplished piece of work. I was blown away by this movie.
1: Thank you. That's very kind of you.
0: As you've been talking about the film, how have you been describing it to people?
1: Well, if you want the um, <laughs> the kind of the elevator pitch, <laughs> uh, which uh, you know one hates to do, I suppose Supernova is a is a film that follows a middle aged couple who are living with a diagnosis of young onset dementia. So um, whilst they're able to to travel and do things they plan a, a trip around the north of england visiting old friends and family and at the end of the trip sam who is a, a pianist is going to play a, a concert which is his his first since giving up in order to sort of look after his partner uh, but as the journey progresses secrets are revealed that challenge their preconceptions of, of of their future their love is is kind of put to test like like never before so i guess i mean really the film is um a bit of a meditation on, on love and romantic love. And, you know, mortality I suppose and it's a challenging yet life-affirming film about what we're willing to do for the the people that, that we love the most
0: that framing device of going on the journey being isolated in often in sort of the camper van cab or in the bedrooms where they're staying it lets the couple have such you know like really interesting really deep
1: conversation
0: what was the starting point for you uh, with this film what was the first element you had in in your
1: head yeah as you said I'd, I'd made I'd made a film before this but that I'd made it very much. Uh, on a shoestring, you know, with sort of did most of it myself and weren't weren't really many people involved. So I was kind of looking to do another film at some point. But as as an actor, I naturally, in time-honoured tradition, was spending a lot of my time working in the service industry, including Mm -hmm. working at the Curzon Soho, in fact. So I was, you know, reassessing my life choices a bit. And I ended up working with this lady who, um, in one of these jobs, and she changed quite a lot in the year that I worked with her from being someone that I got on really well with and was really fun and bubbly and, you know, a nice person to hang out with, to being kind of the opposite of that. Um, and then because of that, she got fired from where we were working. And about six months later, I, I found out that she had been diagnosed with young onset dementia. And a year after that, uh, sadly, she'd, she'd passed away just, just about a year after. So what, in effect, I'd been watching was someone kind of... Um, you know, unravelling, I suppose, is the best way of putting it, uh, with this kind of condition, uh, disease. So it made me really want to just learn more about it. I was sort of quite profoundly affected by that. So I went and did loads of research and started working for charities, dementia charities in London, not really thinking about a film at all, to be honest with you, just, you know, really, really sort of wanting to learn more about how you live with that kind of um, condition. So... The, the result of it really was that uh, a few years into it, I realised that it was something that perhaps I could make a film out of. It felt timely and important and it, it sort of felt like um, something that was the, the right fit for another film project, perhaps. So that's kind of how it started. So like all of these things, it's a, it's a really, really personal film about, you know, hopefully a very important things.
0: Absolutely, I, I, th- I think it's you know hugely affecting, and I'm sure you know lots of audiences can relate to it in some way. Uh, you know, maybe not the specifics of the actual characters, but um, sadly, dementia does touch uh, a lot of people's lives these days.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think the film obviously is you know uh, specific in many ways, naturally, but it's very universal as well. I mean, I think you know the, the intimacy of the love they have together and the bond that they share in the film. I think is you know yeah, it's it's a very universal film. I'd say yeah.
0: You could say maybe they don't need a showcase, but it's such a good showcase for Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci, um, who, are your, your, who played a lead couple in the film. You know, we, we've seen them a, a lot, but I don't think we've ever seen them have this much screen time in such an intimate film. I think it really, as an audience member and a fan of their work, it felt like they were flexing different
1: different muscles. How did you how did you go about casting? Who came on first? Yeah, first I think I think you're right, and I think what's actually really interesting about working with actors that everyone knows and that um, have a large body of work behind them is is trying to work with them in a different way and actually making them or at least collaborating with them rather to make them do something surprising and challenging. I think that's exactly what those guys do in the film, which is a joy to watch. I think what happened really was that we, um, uh, I worked with Shaheen Beg, the brilliant casting director, Shaheen Beg, And we spoke about quite a few people naturally. And I wanted to, uh find two people if i could that knew each other um you know the film is as you know is really intimate and quite exposing and and, you know challenging performatively and the intimacy of it was a big thing and i think we we just if we could we wanted to try and find two actors that that knew each other and i wanted also to make one of the uh characters not british but i wasn't sure really what where that character was going to come from we sort of obviously spoke about stanley and found out that he was available potentially. And also he lived in London, which I didn't know at the time. So we sent the script to him. And to be honest, it was just kind of one of those really ridiculous situations where he read it instantly, got back to us within about a week and said, well, I think I really love this. And can I meet Harry? And he watched my other film and really like that too. And we got on really well, we met and got on really well. And he just, he signed up on the spot, you know, which wow. is remarkable <laughs> because you're never really sure how a film is gonna to come together. And a lot, as you, I'm sure you will know, like a lot of the budget and the structure of a film revolves around the actors involved um, often. Um, certainly if you're, you know, for a filmmaker like me, that's so kind of early in their career. So it suddenly kind of definitely pushed the project in a different direction. and. In talking to Stan, uh, we spoke about who who might be playing opposite him. And he said, you know, I don't know whether you know this, but my best mate is Colin Firth. And I didn't know that at all. I had no idea. I'd forgotten that they'd, they'd worked together before in conspiracy, like 20 years before. And they're best mates. And he said, what do you think about that potential option? And at that point, obviously, I said, well, I mean, are, is there anyone better that you know? Uh, you know, whatever. Because I'm not sure about that. No, I, obviously, I said that was that's um, that would be amazing, and he said, "Well, you know, good because I've already given it to him, and he loves it and he next week." So it was, a, it was a complete stitch up, really, but it was great. You know, I mean, what what an amazing thing to come out of it! It's just such a privilege to spend some time with them.
0: Now, Harry, you're an actor, a writer, a director.
1: Do you do you watch a lot of movies? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I, I mean. I watch films as much as humanly possible and a lot of the jobs that I've done over the years have involved working in and around film. I mean I've mentioned before I worked at Kaisen Soho for years when I first moved to London when I was at drama school and I just like that was a massive education for me. Um, I watched every single film that came out there you know literally I think (laughs) at least once in a five or six year period and was just yeah had my eyes opened further at to to independent film cinema to, to world cinema which I knew a decent amount about anyway but you know was yeah that was a real education and so yeah I go to the cinema as much as possible and yeah I just uh, yeah it's a big part of my life.
0: When you're at the cinema, say, and there's multiple films to choose from, does the film's runtime ever come into your decision-making process?
1: Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ma'am. Uh, if you are, uh, you know, if part of your enjoyment of going to cinema is also going out for a pint and discussing it after, <laughs> runtime is a critical, uh, critical factor in that planning process. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I don't... I. I yeah I have got I've got no uh, bias one way or the other but you know it is often nice to uh, well it's always nice when films don't outstay their welcome that's for mm. sure but um yeah a, a, a nice 90 minute movie and then um you know a chat about it afterwards is is um yeah it's the dream really
0: so when we were talking about doing this this podcast harry I uh, I gave you some homework I gave you a task how did you how did you go at picking the film that we'll talk about today
1: well, what I did basically was that I, I, I thought of about three or four films that I was desperate to talk about and was absolutely positive they were under 90 minutes and all of them were slightly over 90 minutes. <laughs> um, so I went back to the drawing board a little bit and ended up picking Old Joy. And actually, that's probably the, the film I should have thought about in the first place because it's had such an enormous impact on on me um, and me, me as a filmmaker. I mean, Kelly Reichardt has had the biggest one of the biggest impacts on me as an artist, I think, um, over anyone. And Old Joy sort of came into my life at a very important time and very much informed the work that I made after that.
0: Soon-to-be-father Mark, Daniel London, feels the pressure of domestic responsibility closing in, so is more than happy to accept when his old friend Kurt... Will Oldham, proposes a camping trip in the Oregon wilderness. During their time together, the men come to grips with the changes in their lives and the effect on their relationship. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, directed by Kelly Reichardt, co-written by Kelly Reichardt and, and her longtime collaborator John Raymond, based on one of his short stories, released in 2006, received its premiere at the Sundance Film Festival. And it's our second Kelly Reichardt film uh, that we featured on the podcast. We've also had Wendy and Lucy, uh, and both of them are joined by Lucy the Dog. Do you remember when you first watched this film, Harry?
1: Yeah, I do. Very clearly, actually, because I was I was working at a cinema a couple of years after this film came out. And... Wendy and Lucy came out and I watched it and I absolutely loved it. And I'd never heard of Joanna, uh, Joanna Hogg. <laughs> <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard of Kelly Whitecart before. And I absolutely loved the film. And then in the projection office in Curzon Soho, there was a poster for Old Joy on the wall. And um, I realised that it was the same person and desperately tried to find out how to watch it. And I think someone at Curzon had a copy of it or something. Anyway, I got, I got hold of it and it absolutely. Blew me away. It, it sort of was encapsulated everything that I felt a film should be in a way, as in a, in a similar sense, um, Wendy and Lucy had done, you know, a few weeks before. And from there, like my near obsession with Kelly Reichardt's work sort of began. I suppose and I sort of feel like, although I've you know never met her or whatever, but I feel like we're sort of, I, I feel like her her films are sort of uh, you know friends of mine you sort of like you wait a few years and then you see them again a bit like you know um mark and kurt in this film you know they've been estranged for a little while and they they come back together and share some time i always feel actually a little bit like that's how kelly's films feel to me and i always am really excited about the next time i can i can meet them and hang out with them if you like (laughs) It's just a, such a beautiful, delicate film.
0: I think you're right there, right? And, and I think you're right as well about the the feeling that I you know, audiences have when they watch Kelly Reichardt's work. She's very consistent, but it's about you know two or three years between each movie, and it's always an event for me, anyway, when a new Kelly Reichardt film comes out. And I was there last weekend uh, on the Saturday night watching First Cow, and it's like, yes, in the cinema, this is where these belong.
1: Yeah, exactly. I went to see First Cow at the Rio. Just such a beautiful, privileged experience to watch watch her films, and they should be seen in the cinema. Although halfway through the screen that I went to, this woman sort of got up and stormed out. Um, but, you know, I assume she was just uh, lactose intolerant.
0: Like a lot of people, you know, you've, you've come in through one particular Kelly Rycott film and have become a, a, a big fan. Is there anything about the way uh, Kelly Rycott works and how you feel when watching her movies that you think has directly influenced your own filmmaking?
1: Yeah, in in a, in a big way. And I think... Influence is a, or inspiration is an interesting thing, because I think you know a lot of people inspire you to make work, and you don't always want to make work that's anything like the thing that they make. But with Kelly Reichardt's films, I think, well, there's a lot of reasons why her films I think have had a big influence on on the films that I hopefully try will try and make in the future, and. In almost every way, really, from the, from the, her sort of philosophy of filmmaking to the way she makes her films to to kind of what that you know to the sort of mundanity of like what they're about, you know, I think there's loads of things really. I, I find her inspiring on every level. You know, I think I think the the main thing out of all of it, if I had to sort of pick one, is is just how. It's humanist cinema. It's like full of empathy for characters and humans. It's so compassionate and like empathetic and detailed. you know, I think that beautiful, fragile human detail that she manages to weave into her films is like um, is really spiritual and sometimes you know, transcendental almost. And, and I love that. It just feels so un, it feels so uh, unforced and pure. And gentle, that you know, she's um, she's a filmmaker who is who you just know is obviously just the loveliest person as well. You know, I think that's um, it's nice. It's nice to feel like that in a film. Like I remember um, this review of of Old Joy, which I tried to find this morning and I couldn't find it, but I, I paraphrase what it said because I remember at the time someone gave it a really bad review and it and said um, that it's so introverted. That it gives the impression that it want that it wants to be left alone, and I thought that that's exactly what I love about it. Like that, <laughs> that is the best review of that film. Uh, you know, in my view, it's just that it's it's so much its own thing, and I, I think that's a that's really rare.
0: Fully agree, and actually, I do quite like reading a review which. The reviewer might intend to be negative, but actually it just sounds like the best thing ever. I I think I had a similar journey with Kelly Reichardt to you in that I watched Wendy and Lucy first, became obsessed, and then I wanted to hoover up everything else uh, she did, and I was sort of there day one for any subsequent releases. But I did have to go on a bit of a mission to find Old Joy. I I love the central relationship in this film. I I think it's one of the best sort of friendships on screen uh, between Mark and Kurt, and I think Kelly Reichardt really nails that feeling of... An old friend you haven't seen for a long time, and your lives are going in different directions.
1: Yeah, that's what's so beautiful. And so, and f- it feels so effortless how she does it. I think that's always one of the things that's so impressive about how she makes her work. You know, like Kurt and Mark in this, they've grown apart, they've clearly grown apart so much, but in different ways are trying to cling on to this thing they once had, you know, and that sense that life. ebb and flow of life kind of draws us apart from people naturally and and maybe sometimes you you shouldn't fight that i think is you know it's sort of um the heart of the film in many ways um but it's so naturally done it's it had it's such a huge effect on me making hinterland you know and and when i look back on um oh joy I, i see the resonances that I didn't even see at the time you know the very obvious ones like two old friends reconnecting on a road trip but also you know they've even got a Volvo you know like stuff like that I didn't even really notice at the time um and obviously you know my my film is a infinitely infinitely worse film than this masterpiece of old joy but um you know I I tried my best on a on a tiny budget but like yeah it's just the inspiration was there quite early on I think. I'm Kobe and I'm Helen and we are from Flix Watcher podcast another podcast in the stripped media family we're a movie podcast that reviews films on Netflix so if you've ever struggled to find a film on Netflix then we're the podcast just for you each episode we have guests from other podcasts big and small who choose the films and we rate them with our unique scoring system so if you want to listen to Flix Watcher podcast just type in Flix Watcher that's F-L-I-X Watcher into the very app that you're listening to this podcast on Visit www.stripped.media to find more about our podcast and ninety minutes or less film fest.
0: It's it's one of those films which you know it's it's not the the, the narrative isn't propelling the film uh, along particularly, but I do like that there is sort of a you quite a low key goal, and I also like how incidental the whole trip is. Like it's not like it's this big trip for someone's birthday or a huge reunion. It's a call out of the blue. Do you want to go to the hot springs in the woods? Sure. There's a, there's a reason for going on the trip. And uh, it sort of slowly moves the narrative along.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's an existential thing, really. It's not like there's, the end goal isn't going to be, you know, scattering someone's ashes or whatever, you know, a big birthday party. It's just that, it, like you say, it's a call out of the blue. And it's just so delicate, really, isn't it? And so natural. And that that focus that she has with in all of her films, but certainly with this where the focus is just on the, the 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 minutiae of the like quotidian right it's not like it's not packed with plot it's not like there's no like huge narrative twists it's just kind of some people existing you know these intimate character studies about people on the margins of society usually you know are around you know people in flux transitioning whatever it's so naturally done i think
0: it's, it's not like there's you know huge set pieces in this but i do like that every setting reveals something new about their relationship I think my favourite scene here is around the campfire on the, the sort of first night uh, that they have together, and, and they have a little air pistol and they're shooting uh, beer cans uh, whilst having a conversation, and it's a static shot, I think, and it just lets the actors play off each other for a really nice long chunk of time.
1: Yeah, that sort of observational quality that the film has it, um, it is one that is like really difficult to get right, and um, she, yeah, and you know she she does it so perfectly. And there's that like, lovely moment in that scene, I think, where he just says, "Like I really miss you, mm. and I want you back." Um, and then it sort of doesn't go anywhere. Next day happens, and it's lovely.
0: Have you got a favourite scene in this film,
1: well, I've got a few. I mean, actually, I really, really love the, the driving sequences in the film. You know, I think driving sequences in road movies, you know, are, are a big part of defining what kind of road movie it is. You know, if you compare. The driving sequences in this, to like say, radio on or whatever, like you you, you understand very quickly, uh, or King's of the road or whatever, you understand very very quickly what kind of film it is and what it's trying to do. And I think those those scenes I really love. I find them really transcendental, and that the the, um, the score it is by uh, Yola Tango from an album called They Shoot We Score. It's what I, every time I go on a road trip, it's what I've, the first thing I listen to is this album because of this film. It's just such a perfect soundtrack to to leaving a place, I think. But also, the you know, I suppose if the film culminates in anything, it's the it's um the scenes around the 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 springs, the hot springs, where they just sort of get naked and lie there, and 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 there's something again transcendental about it because she's playing with time, and she, there's lots of shots of water and all of that kind of thing. And, and just the environment of it is so like, it's so part of the action, but they just sit and do nothing. They hang out and then uh, Kurt gets up and starts giving him, uh, giving Mark a massage, which he's resistant to at first and then sort of falls into. And it's just like, there's something so, so natural about how that happens, the staging of it, the blocking of it, how she shot it. Yeah, I, I really love that.
0: I love how it's a close up on on Daniel London's face, and there's no words said at that point. It's just his eyes and his expression says everything about it.
1: And then, he, and then his his hand, I think, just kind of falls into the water off the side of the thing. Like you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty rigorous visual storytelling. You know, it's it's great.
0: I think the whole film is, is full of that, isn't it? Because I think mean, after after that scene, there's maybe another 10 minutes or so of them going home and sort of doing the reverse road trip back to the city. And there's so little dialogue and it's it's full of glorious sort of like uh, those shots on the road, as you mentioned, that Kelly Reichardt's so good at and, and the score comes back into it. But we get to see the sun setting uh, now on this this little uh, adventure.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it's it, like all... I would say pretty much all of the best films, it's open-ended, you know, it, it sort of leaves, it leaves mm-hmm. us, the audience, you know, it actively engages the audience um, in uh, in the story and it allows you to take it away and, uh, and do with it what you will. Uh, it doesn't tie up any loose ends, you know. It's very possible that these guys having spent this little time together in the woods are never going to see each other again. And that's kind of it, you know, or not, who knows. Mm-hmm. But like, I just think there's... This, there's something really generous about that gesture um, from, from, uh, you know, from the filmmaker that I, I, I really adore it. It's like climbing a mountain. Look around, you see trees and rocks and bushes pressing around you
0: and then you get above the tree line, you see everything you just went through and it all like comes together. You know, you see that it has a shape after all. I think we should we should definitely talk about Lucy the dog a little bit I think I think nobody directs animals as, as much as you can direct animals at like Kelly Reichardt and I just loved the story of how Lucy got involved in in Kelly Reichardt making films where she inherited this dog and uh, she she's like, I'm not going to stop making films because I have a dog I'm just going to
1: add the dog in as a character in a way, sort of way that sort of happens in loads of ways with her career which probably is a lot about her as a person you know like her collaboration with, with John Raymond, you know, like that, that's brought her to Oregon and now she makes all of her films in Oregon. She lives there. And like, you know what I mean? Like I think it, there's something like really there's a sort of natural evolution. It seems to her work and her life that is like, is really uh, inspiring, but yeah, Lucy, the dog is like, yeah, it's pretty, I mean, she's pretty good in the film, right. <laughs> like, but you know, they're all, pretty great pretty great performances from all three leads i'd say
0: lucy's got the memo that this is a naturalistic film and you know it, it just it's so like it, it, it she's just worked into the story so well where the actors can react to her if they need to but lucy's so chill she's often just in the background uh, of a scene like that fireplace scene I was, I was talking about i didn't realize until re-watching the film lucy sort of just sat behind one of them uh, and you sort of see her head just poke out like she's not fussed but she's worked into every scene somehow whether it's on the back seat of the car or walking through the woods
1: yeah she's so good in this but like so good in wendy and lucy M- more to do uh, more more of a character journey for her I suppose probably in that
0: I mean Wendy and Lucy is kind of like the Frasier to her cheers <laughs> exactly. yeah. the most popular character and we'll spin them off and,
1: uh, <laughs> I never thought of it like that but yeah I guess it is um, <laughs> and um yeah, and, and yeah, sadly Lucy died not so long ago, I think. so. I
0: think it maybe be at the end of Certain Women there's a tribute to Lucy, or, or definitely at the end of one of uh, Kelly Reichardt's films, there's a card. And obviously we've been on this journey, so it's sad for us. It is at
1: the end of Certain Women, I think. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so R.I.P. Lucy.
0: So as part of our podcast, we're you know we're working towards this film festival where we only show under ninety minute movies, uh, and it's it's a joy to have old joy in the lineup. We're we're a film festival. We'd like to get movies in theaters, and I think as guest curator, I'd love to ask you for which cinema anywhere in the world where, where you'd like to show Wendy and Lucy to an audience.
1: I mean, why not the Curzon Soho? Because that's it's that's my attachment to it, I suppose. But I think obviously Curzon Soho is in the middle of uh, you know a capital city so not too similar to the action in the film so I think if screen one if all the seats were taken out and replaced with hot springs uh, (laughs) like you know like in the film and everyone probably probably should be uh, you know naked watching the film in a hot spring uh, with Bonnie Prince Billy probably playing some songs afterwards maybe
0: Well, that's a that's a fully that's a fully formed event there I I, I, yeah, I love that way well, you know the, the, the Bagsby springs um in the film are they sort of like hollowed out logs so you could totally have you know a set of logs in the cinema set up like cinema seats facing the screen and you can kind of sit up right in it like a chair
1: yeah I think I think that would be good I mean it might be a bit weird after all, <laughs> but you know we could give it a go I mean the alternative would be I guess an outdoor drive drive in in Oregon somewhere beautiful where everyone is sitting in a Volvo maybe you choose yeah.
0: well i you know I, I i always like to think we you know we we pushed the boat out on these these screenings but both of your ideas are you know pretty top tier there so we will just talk to the Kurs on Soho if if for health and safety reasons we can't do do that we'll we'll do the backup screening which will be the drive in if you could talk to, say, like a, for an introduction or a Q and A uh, with a screening of Old Joy, and is there, a, do you have a dream
1: guest in mind? Oh well, Kelly Reichhart, <laughs> I guess would be the dream guest. I mean, just because I want to meet her, really.
0: I think that's what these things are for, isn't it? You know, like if you can book someone for an intro or Q and A, Q&A, it might as well be someone that you want to meet.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think. Yeah, that, that would be the ideal guest for that. I think she's just the kind of person that'd be nice to hang out with for a bit and um, eat some food and drink some wine with, I think. Have a spa. <laughs> <laughs> or a spa. Kelly's choice. I wouldn't get in the way of what she wanted.
0: Maybe maybe for the old dress screening, we'll get some tins of beer in. That might be the thing to do. Yeah,
1: yeah. And an air gun.
0: Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm so health and safety, people I'm not going to like this. <laughs>
1: I think we're looking at Oregon, Sam.
0: It's amazing that we've got our a, a second Kelly Reichardt film uh, in our festival, and I, and I love that you went for Old Joy. I think Old Joy and Wendy and Lucy make sort of the perfect double bill uh, in my eyes, uh, not just linked by the dog, but, you know, very similar themes and an amazing uh, exterior photography in both.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, always the left with the, with the sentence, you know, sorrow is nothing but worn out joy.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Harry. Um, great to have you on the show. And Supernova is in cinemas now. I think you know, if you like characters going on a on a on a trip to discover themselves, it's uh, Old Joy and Supernova have definitely share some DNA there too.
1: Oh, thanks, Sam. Yeah, it's a real real honour to be part of the podcast. Thanks for having me.
0: thank you for listening please subscribe on apple podcasts or your podcatcher of choice you can also listen on our website 90minfilmfest.com that's 90minfilmfest.com you can contact us there or on twitter and instagram at 90minfilmfest the podcast is produced by louise owen and me sam clements the show is edited by louise owen with sound mixing and additional editing by luke smith our music is by martin Ostrich, and our artwork is by sam gilby and we'll be back in a couple of weeks
1: We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.